Kenzie Lambert here, your host for Mac and the Movies, where we look at everything from art house to grindhouse, mainstream to obscure, the forgotten and the unforgettable. We continue our look at the second volume of the Grindhouse Experience from Fortune 5 DVD, and I am happy to report the duo of double bills in this episode are fantastic. On the docket, we have two war films, The Dirty Two and Sinai Commandos, plus two car chase films, Renegade and Highway Racer. Do any of these films top Blazing Magnum? Well, we'll find out. Now let's get into the movies. Brian Haskins and Private John Grayson are to be executed. Lieutenant Michael Shepard is assigned to oversee the protocol. Moments before Haskins and Grayson are to be shot, the execution is interfered with by a squad of Nazi soldiers. Haskins, Grayson, and Shepard are able to escape in the midst of the firefight. The trio manage to make their way to a small Italian village. The village welcomes them as liberators against the Nazi occupation. They befriend the locals but soon they discover an incoming Nazi platoon coming to take over the village. These three men are all that stand between the village's freedom and being held under Nazi control. The Dirty Two can be found under a variety of titles, The Liberators, War Fever, and Salt in the Wound. 42nd Street audiences would have enjoyed the film for its flashes of violence, the climactic action sequence, resisting the the invading Nazi patrol, and for Private John Grayson, played by Ray Saunders. I'll explain the significance of his character in a moment. Kinski was a regular in the spaghetti westerns, the horror and giallo, and action films that would often appear in grindhouse theaters. Kinski was a familiar face to this particular crowd. Quality-wise, there are some tracking issues, but nowhere near as bad as Three Men to Kill. It's fair to say that this film is capitalizing on the success of American-produced war films of the time, mainly The Dirty Dozen, as hinted at by the title of The Dirty Two. To the film's credit, it's an accurate title since Shepard is only along for the ride as he is at the mercy of Haskins and Grayson. The Dirty Two is a decent entry in the genre of macaroni combat, along with the likes of Inglorious Bastards, Eagles Over London, Five for Hell, and The Seven Red Berets. With Haskins and Grayson having to help the town, it plays up the theme of self-sacrifice and redemption. 
These men barely escape a Nazi ambush, being criminals themselves, and being free, yet they are soon back in the very predicament they try to run away from. They also know that without their help, the people in the village will suffer. Tonino Ricci makes his directorial debut with The Dirty Two. He got his start with pirate movies along with sword and sandal films in the role of second unit director, even working under Lucio Fulci for his adaptation of White Fang. He donned the role of director where he tackled westerns, fantasy, sword and sandals, and horror. Riz Ortolani provides the music score. Nothing I can say is memorable regarding his music score, especially when compared to Mean Frank and Crazy Tony or Cannibal Holocaust. Klaus Kinski plays American soldier Brian Haskins, uh, despite the fact that the man is distinctly German. He makes it work. Kinski is an icon of exploitation. His name was King, Death Smiles on a Murderer, Grand Slam, Venus and Furs for Jess Franco, the Werner Herzog Nosferatu remake, and the Leone classic for a few dollars more. George Hilton makes another appearance on Mac in the movies. Uh, one of the films we previously saw him in was Any Gun Can Play, for the previous uh, version entry, or for the previous uh, box set of the Grindhouse Experience, Hilton plays Shepard, who ends up under the custody of Haskins and Grayson. He's not given much to work with, uh, leaving Kinski and Saunders to carry much of the weight of the film. Uh, we also saw him in the last episode of the podcast for the Atlantis Interceptors. If you don't recall me mentioning it, bef- mentioning that he was in it before, well, that should kind of tell you the quality of performance he gave. Not reflecting on him as a bad actor, but just more so Diodato's questionable directing of others. Ray Saunders as Grayson is a captivating character. He has these sad, distant eyes that are a constant through the film. I'm not sure if he's haunted by the war or the sins he feels he's committed during the war. There's a subplot between Saunders and the little boy. Saunders tries to keep him, the boy away from him. One could think that maintaining his distance is his coping mechanism in emotionally dealing with the war. The boy could be a reminder of a responsibility that Saunders isn't able to cope with. There, there's a lot of depth to this character that people probably aren't going to give him credit for. The Dirty Two came out in 1969, right before black exploitation was going to charge theaters with heroes and heroines of color. Yet, Saunders is a deep, ambiguous character that deserves a spot right along with Dwayne Jones as Ben and Sidney Poitier as Virgil Tibbs. Saunders was one of those rare black heroes that predated the likes of Shaft and Foxy Brown. I enjoyed The Dirty Two. While the film itself is not groundbreaking or innovative, it certainly wasn't boring. You'll be kept invested with the on-screen happenings. The cast sells this film with some great talent. Israeli soldiers are sent on a suicide mission to take down Arab radar installations at Sharm al-Sheikh. Disrupting those installations would allow for less resistance and a tactical advantage for the Israeli forces that would follow. 
But if the squad fails the mission, their government will disavow any knowledge of their actions. Heading the team is Captain Yuri Littman. Among his team are the best of their specialty. Demolitionist, linguist, technician, shooter, and mercenary. Joining them is a woman, Nira, one of the best boat navigators, and she's familiar with the coastline. The film centers on a mission in the Six Days War, which occurred from June 5th through June 10th in 1967. Israel defended against an alliance consisting of Jordan, Syria, and what would become Egypt. Israel's defense proved so effective that not only did they protect their own territory, but also tripled the size of their territory in the, the neighboring countries. Sinai Commandos is clearly capitalizing on the success of the Dirty Dozen. The fact that it's Israeli produced is interesting. Italian war movies have the moniker Macaroni Combat. What would be the equivalent for a Jewish war film? Uh, what dish is distinctly Jewish as spaghetti is to Italian? Uh, I had to consult a few friends and I got suggestions like Matzah Joe's, Kujel Combat, Lentil Conflict, Gefilte Fisticuffs, but I, I have to go with Kosher Commandos. So from now on, anytime I come across an Israeli war movie, I'm putting it in the genre of Kosher Commandos. There were a few issues with the film. Uh, there were the typical tracking issues. Uh, odd music selections made for tonal inconsistencies. Uh, one moment there's orchestral, and then you're hit with lounge jazz. There's also poor implementation of day-for-night shots. Uh, we have a random sepia-tone stock footage. It's, uh, it's disorienting at times. There's a lot of good things to say about this film as well. One scene displayed some moral depth when the squad overtakes a group of Egyptian soldiers. Uh, they're presented with the dilemma of whether to keep them alive or just kill them in cold blood. Uh, the film was shot in the Sinai Desert and Tel Aviv, lending a strong sense of authenticity. The stunt work for the low-flying plane was pretty impressive. The film maintains a steady pace. I was never bored watching it. I was not at all familiar with the subject matter, so I didn't know what was going to happen or if they pulled off the mission. Can't say I'm familiar with the other films from director Raphael Nussbaum. However, he did write, produce, and direct nine films, a near three-decade career. More power to him. Lead Robert Fuller, who played Captain Littman, was a TV regular. The Fall Guy, Murder, She Wrote, and Seinfeld are a small sample of his TV credits. Sinai Commandos would be the only role for Esther Ullman, who played Nira. Overall, Sinai Commandos is a strong alternative to both American and Italian war films. Kosher Commando films in the realm of Israeli exploitation are a rare find in a rare enough genre. Uh, the full film can be found on YouTube. <laughs> is a drifter con man accompanied only by his horse, Joe Brown. He's in destitute. He sells Joe only for the horse to return. He's given a protection gig. He must serve as the guardian for Matt, the son of Moose. Moose is in jail for a crime he swears he didn't commit. 
All the while, a tycoon named Lawson wants to buy out Moose's land. Looks like we have our first review for a solo outing for one half of the duo of Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill. After 1985's Super Cops, the pair went their separate ways. Spencer made his own films, same with Hill. Renegade marks a buddy film with Hill and his adopted son, Ross Hill. It's odd that this film is labeled as a grindhouse film, uh, or at least being associated with the the grindhouse environment. Uh, Renegade came out in 1987, which was the twilight of the grindhouse culture. By this time, the film would have ended up on video instead of being lent to second-run theaters, as was often the case for films in the grindhouse environment. I'm torn to cover this film as part of the series like I was with The Bounty Man or Coriolanus. I struggle with this because Renegade would likely have skipped over the Grindhouse run, but Spencer and Hill have been appreciated by 42nd Street audiences because of the frequent action and slapstick humor in their films. Renegade retains that humor in decent action, uh, particularly a car chase that features a surprising stunt and uh, also Luke's knack for card tricks. Despite the absence of Bud Spencer, uh, that spirit of the duo is retained in this film. Enzo Barboni handles the directorial effort. Barboni worked on the Trinity films with Spencer and Hill, as well as Crime Busters. Heck, uh, one of the alternative titles for Renegade is They Call Me Renegade, a callback to the classic Spaghetti Westerns. Speaking of Spaghetti Westerns, the editor of this film was Eugenio Albiso. He worked on the latter two entries of Leone Dollar's trilogy, For a Few Dollars More and, and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. He also worked on Jello like Spasmo and Horror Fair like Mountain of the Cannibal God. Mauro Paluzzi is credited as the composer, but I honestly can't recall any of his music being memorable. Um, unfortunately, his work was overshadowed by the use of Leonard Skinner songs. They Call Me the Breeze and Simple Man work in relation to Luke's character. Terrence Hill retains the lighthearted attitude that was common in his partnership with Spencer. You can definitely see the chemistry between Terrence and his son, Ross. The pair of them clicking shows in the scenes where they fiddle with a pair of truck, uh, truckers that cause them trouble. Sadly, Ross died in an auto accident in 1990. Robert Vaughn plays Lawson, the land tycoon. He gets second bill in the credits for his 10 to 15 minutes of screen time. The late 80s were a time for Vaughn to earn a few exploitation credits, notably Zombie 5, Killing Birds, and Chud 2. This was a far cry from working on the Magnificent Seven or Bullet. Renegade was a fun, enjoyable romp with Terrence Hill, post-Bud Spencer. Decent action, comedic set pieces, good licensed music. A full film is up on YouTube and well worth your time. you bet who wants to bet me and as much as you like five ten a hundred you name it come on how the hell with that i got one life and i want to live it out palmer yeah but you don't want to live like a vegetable so you think it's being a vegetable not wanting to risk your neck you gotta pay a price to get out of the herd and i want to get out so get out of the herd but do it when i'm not in the car if you don't mind ah stop shaking you know you're darn lucky to be with me i got complete control of this heat 
I'll make Talia Ferry look sick. Talia Ferry? Are you crazy? Why, he's practically a national monument. If I had a bigger engine, I'd be a monument too, car and all. Yeah, in a cemetery. Cemetery, huh? Thanks a lot. A year from now, when the whole town will be talking about me. You'll see. A year? But you really think with your crazy ideas, Palmer, that you'll last a year? These cars are like wild beasts. They take a lot of taming. Wild beasts, huh? That's silly. I'll bet you never looked inside of one. Stripped it down piece by piece and put it back together again. No, no, I'll bet you haven't. Marco Palma is a reckless cop trying to get a handle on the recent crime wave that has overtaken the city. Becoming more common are criminals engaging in dangerous pursuits that leave the police in the dust. The police department is unable to match the criminals, both in horsepower of the vehicles and the driving skills. It reaches a point where there is no other choice but to bring in muscle cars and train Palma. Tagliaferri is the supervisor for Palma and was a member of the Flying Squad before the unit was abolished. Tagliaferri trains Palma in the ways of the Flying Squad drivers, even giving him the famed Ferrari 250 GTE. Equipped with these new skills, Palma goes after Pistoni, who is a driver connected with the local crime element. Poliziotesci films were known for their extreme violence and hard-hitting action. Look no further than The Big Racket, Blazing Magnum, or The Violent Professionals. Highway Racer offers a high-octane police drama, but without the gut-wrenching violence common in the genre. It's all proportional to the grindhouse crowds. Highway Racer cuts down on the violence, but offers frequent action to keep the audience happy. Italy in the 1960s was a time of progress in the post-World War II period. There was a boom for the country in the fields of technology and industry. At the same time, the criminal element was taking advantage of these advancements. Enter Armando Spatafora, a police driver who became a folk hero for engaging in high-risk chases in the streets of Rome. Spatafora would be the inspiration for the Tagliaferri character. One of the most famous chases happened on the Spanish steps between the Piazza di Spagna and Piazza Trinita de Monti. Director Stelvio Massi got his start as a camera and electric assistant before becoming a cinematographer, then a director. He would work regularly with Maurizio Merli in the late 1970s. Massi would go on to work with Fred the Hammer Williamson for the first entry in the Black Cobra series. Remy Julien provides the stunt work in this film. If you've seen Blazing Magnum, the original Italian job, Mean Frank and Crazy Tony, Goldeneye, or High Crime, you know what action you're in for. As a film score composer in Italy, it's hard not to be compared to Ennio Morricone. That's unfair to the likes of Stelvio Cipriani, who provided the music for Highway Racer, as he did with A Bay of Blood and Nightmare City. When it comes to Cipriani, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better piece of music than his theme for Highway Racer.
director Maurizio Merli had the dubious reputation of being considered a knockoff of Franco Nero, his resemblance didn't help matters. Yet, Merli has gone on to be the face of the Eurocrime and Polizio Tesci genre. Highway Racer is a welcomed alternative to the frequent grim offerings common in Polizio Tesci. The score by Cipriani, the stunt work of Julien, and a decent performance by lead actor Merli makes this one worth seeking out. The film can be found under such titles as Poliziato Sprint and Convoy Busters. Uh, that last title may be confusing considering the, the film has no convoys. And that finishes this part of our journey through the Grindhouse Experience Volume 2. Let's update the rankings so far. Number 12, we have Mr. Deathman. At 11, we have Slavers. Number 10, Coriolanus, Hero Without a Country. Number 9, Carthage in Flames. Number 8, Striker. Number seven, The Atlantis Interceptors. Number six, Three Men to Kill. Number five, The Dirty Two. Number four, Sinai Commandos. Number three, Renegade. Number two, Highway Racer. And still at number one, Blazing Magnum. Thanks for taking time to listen to this episode. I greatly appreciate it. Next time, we have a pair of shark movies. Great. As if we didn't have enough already. I tell you, there are too many shark movies. How do I know there are too many? I'm in one of them. Uh, Snow Shark, Agent Snow Beast, where I have a small role as a cop. Anyway, the two shark movies we have to look forward to are Shark Hunter and Deadly Jaws. There's also a double bill of spy movies. Zero Double Seven, Mission Bloody Mary, and Her Majesty's Top Gun. That episode will drop on Monday, September 30th. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to see you grow, consider a one-time donation via PayPal. You can find me on social media, Facebook and Twitter. I also post random stuff on Instagram. All of that will be in the description. Until next time, this is Mackenzie Lambert from Making the Movies. Take care, folks. Mm-hmm.